Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado Magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado Magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello, and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today, I'm here with Mushfik Sarker. Did I get it? Yeah. Mushfik Sarker. And he is the CEO of webacquisition.com. Has done over 215 business transactions. I just want to thank you for being here today, man. You've got a lot of experience in buying, fixing up, and selling, flipping, I guess you would call it, content sites, websites, newsletters, that type of stuff. And I know a lot of people are interested just because... That's a great place for people to start into this mergers and acquisitions of small to medium businesses world. Let's just start off with your origin story, man. Thank you for being here. Let's kind of get, get a feel for how you got to where you are now. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I started in 2008. I was fresh in college. I wanted to make some side income. And so I started dabbling into how to build websites. Back then it was Google Blogspot platform. And back then, SEO, search engine optimization, was very easy. You could put something up, get a ranking in a month. So I did. I built, and my first site is still out there. It was bought by Slashdot, which is Slashdot Media back in the day. It was pretty big. And it's called cheapestvoipcalls.net. So I was in the VOIP business back when Skype was actually so young, they had an affiliate like structure, they pay me for leads, built that up. It was making a couple thousand dollars, helped me go through college. And then all of a sudden in 2010, I got a cold email from the now slash dot people that they wanted to buy it. They had a portfolio of my competitors, the other VP, VOP, VOIP sites. And so I sold it. It was sold. And back then multiples were low. I sold something. I was making a couple thousand for $25,000, but for a college student is 18, 19 years old. That's great. And so sold it. And then I got, and then I realized this is interesting. You can build something up and then there's interest in people buying a random content site, right? That's driving organic or social traffic. So that's when I got into this journey. Since then we've done 215 transactions. Now that's I buy, grow and sell to I broker as well. It's about a 70, 30 split of my site, 70% that we bought. And then 30% broker transactions because we do run a, we run a very boutique brokerage as well. So yeah, I'll stop there, but that's the origin. It's not just websites. I was looking at some of the stuff. It looks like you buy like other content stuff too. So like newsletters and that type of stuff. Okay. And you pod, have you got it in it? I'm kind of intrigued by the whole, can you buy a pod, somebody else's podcast and do something with it? Yeah, I have not because it's tied to a personality. That's the biggest issue with any asset that you'll buy is who is behind it. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, if I was to sell the website flip.com, my brand, I would have to first remove myself in a way, my face, or in a way that I'm not the main person. 
Same with your podcast, right? It's tough. I tend to buy mostly content sites. Newsletters are very good because it's not always the individual. It's kind of third part, third person. Um, Facebook groups, social media profiles, anything that drives traffic to somewhere and that has a valuable audience can be acquired. I was reading some stuff on your website and you have an intriguing, really cool way of finding some of these diamonds in the rough. So how do you source websites when you're out there looking for something? Yeah. So prior to having my brand, now it's easy because people just reach out. Now, let's just say you're starting from scratch. Somebody has no deal flow. If you're in the content space, I will be honest and say Flippa is actually pretty good and I'll get to why, right? You think Flippa is essentially the eBay of the digital asset world. It's listings. Anybody can put it up. They're not all hundred percent vetted. Some are. And they're improving their structures, but any, in general, you can put up your listing there. And the reason and that is the actual good thing there, because anybody can list. That means being Flippa, everybody, when somebody searches on Google, I want to sell my business, Flippa pops up. So I have found my best deals on Flippa. And that's because whenever some random person who has a nice content website, they built because they're a hobbyist, right? They built it up for many, many years. They're going to list on Flippa because they don't know about this M&A space, right? And so that's when I can, I scour Flippa daily to find these diamond in the roughs, right? Like I have found multiple of my biggest assets on Flippa because it was somebody who was listing their asset and they don't know what is value. So I can get a good deal on it. So that's one. Um, a lot of people are doing this today because uh, multiples have risen like crazy in our space. And so they find, for example, a topic they're interested in. They go on page two, three, four of Google and essentially message the owners of those websites say, Hey, your site seems neglected. You haven't updated the content in a while. It looks outdated. I would love to revamp it, right? The success rate is less than a percent. You reach out to a hundred people, 10 people will respond, nine, eight to nine will say, I want a million dollars when it's only worth maybe $30,000. And that one person will potentially discuss with you and close the deal. So I don't do that. It's just not worth the time, but I know if somebody has a lot of time and was looking for a crazy deal, that's a good approach. And the other one is a flip up. One of the suggestions you had on one of your websites, an article I was reading, and I'm interested in this space. I'm actually, I've been putting all over my social media that I'm looking for newsletters, podcasts, and social media in the B2B, this, more particular, the small to medium business B2B space. And one of the articles you have out there was talking about looking for like the top 10 or top 20 for like 19 or 2019 or 2022, right? top 20 SMB blogs in 2022 or 2020, right? You go look at those and see which ones have been like not uh, updated in the last year or so. Even if it's neglected, it, it could be difficult. Some of them, like the authors are even hard to get a hold of, right? Because yeah. just they don't publish, they don't have social media direct contacts on there and some other stuff. So I've been reaching out to some of those too, which is a pastime. One of the things I want to chat with you is, can you turn content around, right? So I actually have something on the table right now and I'm not, I don't have the okay from him to share the URLs or anything. He's wanting to sell, like he's got a portfolio of about three websites. It's, they're all content websites, they're blogs. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, and they have hundreds, if not a thousand or more articles on them. They are generating revenue. Now he's wanting something like three times the TTM, three times the, the trailing 12 months. Mm -hmm. And probably not going to offer that because the sites are what I refer to as the old made for AdSense sites where 
the articles aren't that readable. Like the, it's a hundred percent SEO and not like if you had to look at like, is it written for the search engine or is it written for the user experience? These are all search engine articles. Like they, it's hard to read a, a single paragraph on there. Is it possible to turn that content around? Like, can you go through and rewrite and respin all those articles or is it even worth the time to do something like that? Let's step back a second. Three times trailing 12 months is in our world, we do monthly averages. So that's a 36 X monthly. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's fair. <laughs> and so I have a valuation guide on my site. 35X, 36X is the baseline today for mm -hmm. any content site, regardless of content quality. If it's ranking and bringing in revenue, that's what it gets. And then if it has very high quality content, it has newsletter, it has podcasts, it has social media, you just bump up the multiple accordingly. If it's gone on a downtrend, you bump the multiple down from a 35. So 35, 36 is a baseline. So he's not asking a crazy number. Now, back to your question on... Can you buy that and revamp the content? Definitely. That is a strategy a lot of people do. Because one of the things with content sites is you're essentially following Google, right? And Google takes a while to rank sites. Um, there's a six-month sandbox. It takes 12 months to get traction. How I look at it, I'm outsourcing that build cost to somebody else, either anywhere in the world, right? I don't care. And then I'm, I can buy that asset that has traction now, traffic, revenue, some revenue, a lot of content that I'm buying the content, not, I'm not paying for the content costs separately, right? It's part of the revenue valuation calculation, which is average revenue times a multiple. So I can buy hundreds, thousands of articles, but only pay pennies on the dollar for them equivalently, right? So I like to do that because that now I can take the content, do what's called an audit, go through every single article and figure out which one is valuable, which one yeah, matches the topics that I want to cover and then delete or redirect the rest, essentially. It's kind of a technical thing, but you can clean it up and then shortlist the ones you really want to update, update that content. And now you have a nice site. It takes time and effort, but it is a very valuable, uh, viable strategy. These are doing reasonable, I guess, in this space of things. I don't have it up right now. I was looking to see if I still had it open. I think that one of the websites was doing like the 12 months total was like 11K and the other one was doing like 17K for 12 months. And then he had two others on there were doing less than probably 2K for the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. So, but he's wanting to sell all of them and they're in different genres. Like they're not all even connected. I think one of them is like men's lifestyle type of stuff. Another one is a random like kind of how-to website and just different. And one of them might be, I think one of them is like travel related. So the two big ones are the lifestyle one and the how-to one. So you're saying that 36 months trailing like a, a 36X on monthly, is it revenue or, or like when the, in the rest of the world we use like EBITDA or seller discretion or earnings, but these things are so high margin. Is it, you guys use straight revenue or what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. So there some of my sites.
That's really interesting. Now, do you monetize your websites through all the different, like, there's just so many different ways, right? There's all the different affiliates. And I had some of the like Amazon affiliates and I had a really good friend. That's what he did. He made Amazon affiliate sites for different, just things he loved. Like he was really into sound. So he did one for sound quality items. So sometimes headphones, sometimes speakers, never microphones or anything, just the listening aspect of sound. Like he had some tools on there where you could actually put a, I guess, a monitor in the room and figure out the sound. He did the reviews on that, had it pointed at Amazon for the product. It was making really good money. And then Amazon re-geared its uh, affiliate program. And he went right. to living on this website to happen to go get a job for somebody. I think he sold it and it's gone now. How do you monetize your sites? Is it AdSense? Is it affiliates, direct affiliates, that type yeah. of stuff? Yeah, it's a mix of affiliate. I'm a strong affiliate marketer, high ticket affiliate which is it's not Amazon pays now less than 4% commissions. Right. I'm in high ticket, which is 50% commissions plus on, on sale or what's called CPA cost per action. Like for example, one brand in the B2B space was willing to pay me $60 per lead, even though their subscription is $6 a month, they're going to recoup that money over the lifetime of the customer they're, but they're willing to pay me a significant amount upfront rather than being revenue share where I have to you know, wait until to get that money on a recurring basis. So CPA uh, marketing, say a revenue share, it's all affiliate. And then display ads. You mentioned AdSense. AdSense is actually the lowest of the low. Nobody does AdSense. So that's actually a good acquisition target. Find sites that are AdSense monetized, switch them over to three of the bigger players, which is Ezoic, Mediavine or Ad Thrive. These are the high tier display ad networks. They all have their own different requirements, but you essentially just double, at least at the bare minimum, your revenues overnight by doing that. And then of course, digital products, that's the holy grail. If you can control the traffic, essentially with display ads and affiliate, you're essentially bringing, doing the hard work, which is bringing the traffic from social or organic Google, and then just funneling those users over to the display ads or Amazon or the affiliate networks, you did the hard work. So the goal long-term is to build your own product so that you can keep it in your funnel. Hope that makes sense. I'm actually trying to glance over here and figure out this. There's a Ezoic. Is that an ad network that you're familiar with? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's so I didn't know anything about it. And that's how it, that's how this one's monetized. It's using all the ads on here. Look like they're from there. Yeah. Is that a decent one? I have my issues with them in, in general, it's, AdSense, Ezoic, Mediavine, and AdThrive. Mediavine and AdThrive are pretty head-to-head, -head, but it's AdSense, Ezoic, and it, the two high-tier ones, Mediavine and AdThrive. Now, you can't get into Mediavine unless you have 50,000 sessions per month, and you cannot get into AdThrive without 100,000 page view sessions a month, and Ezoic is open. So if you have something on AdSense, you can jump it to Ezoic easily without any requirements. So since that site you're looking at has Ezoic, and based on just the revenues that you're saying, I know it's the traffic numbers are not there to just jump it to medium and add that. I have a term called easy wins. There's no easy wins on this That's site. I'd already <laughs> told him, I think I'm going to pass just because the sheer amount of work that it would take. I mean, there are hundreds, if not thousands of articles on this thing. I always kid around. I don't even think know if the internet was around in the eighties, but it feels like the eighties vibe. It's just like really blocky, huge photos and really blocky, uh, no graphic layout whatsoever. 
the logo is just black text real big across the front of the page. And the design-wise, I could rip this thing apart myself and put it back together within a matter of a day or two. On I don't know what tool he's even using. It doesn't say WordPress anywhere, so it could be WordPress. It's kind of a cheap WordPress look, but could be using any of the content sites. Mm-hmm. I wasn't worried about the design phase of it because between myself and, and some outsourced help, I could redesign this and make it look good. What I was worried about is... And he hasn't shared this traffic with me yet because I kind of already pushed back. But what I was worried about is like, does the traffic support a different ad network? And the second part of it is, man, the content. I read a bunch of these articles. I like that's a lot of work yeah, to yeah, yeah. rewrite these. Like I said, every paragraph. And there's a lot of like, there's a lot of how tos. Like I'm reading an article right now on how to lock cells in, in Excel. It's just random how tos. What about like one of your websites is that, that businessbrokersrated.com, yeah. right? Yeah. And I like that. I like these review sites because it looks like it's clear. It's kind of evergreen content, like a business broker software tool or something. You probably have to either quarterly or semi-annually or annually go back because the features change, rewrite the article or re- review it. But you can have some fairly evergreen content. Flippa versus Empire, yeah, Empire Flippers or uh, Website Closers or whatever. If you did side by side with them, you got to go back occasionally and say, okay, they're changing their features. Mm-hmm. But having a writer look at those features once a quarter and say what changed and update their review, you could stay relevant for quite a long time. Did those perform well inside of this space? Yes. I'll give a caveat here. First, the space that you're you're talking about, it's again high ticket and Mm -hmm. also in a way kind of lower competition. If you're going to do something like your microphone A versus microphone B, right? You're competing with big brands like Wirecutter, now Forbes, all the players are kind of getting into this physical product space. So not easy there. So I'm just trying to say that you've got to pick your specific niche. And yes, X versus Y product reviews, best X, Y, Z, blah, blah, those things always will work. Google has what's called now a Google product review, which is essentially they want experts to write content and they're getting smarter day by day, but they can pick up if this is rehashed content, because back in the day, made for AdSense, made for Amazon, (laughs) we could just take Amazon descriptions, rewrite it and put it into a listicle, like best 10 microphones for podcasting and it would rank. Nowadays, they can kind of tell this is rehashed content and nobody really touched the product or played with it or tested it. So why should you rank? Because then you have your competitors like Wirecutter who do, you know, 20,000 words about one microphone, right? You can't compete. So you're saying like the listicle type of stuff where you're just listing the top 10 microphones and stuff. Those are hard to rank and hard to do something unless you can back it up with, I physically touched this item. Yeah. I mean, if you are now just, let's say there's probably... 50 to 100 variations of X versus Y and then best mm. X, Y, Z in the microphone space, right? Let's just say you can you can hire a writer to write all of them for pretty cheap and just put them on the site and just hope it works. And you will get traction on some if they're SEO optimized and you do all the good practice, you'll get some traction. It's just that that will not last for very long. That's what I'm saying. You can get traffic. It's just that the big players are doing not even just a big player, people who are taking this seriously, right? Actually ordering the products, working with the brands, getting it free even, doesn't matter. And 
trying it out, right? So you're competing with those people. And then here we are randomly putting content that has no value. So I'm saying that the days of that are getting outnumbered. It's time to take this content business more seriously. Back in the day, you didn't need to take it seriously. And now it, it's actually a legit business model. <laughs> I get that. So I'm just, I've got so many questions. I'm trying to like categorize, try to stay on topic and not let my ADD take me off into the next rabbit hunt here. We've talked a little bit about sourcing deals and stuff. How do you verify? I mean, what's the process you use? I know some of the tools that are out there and they're all like, almost every tool is like a hundred bucks a month. Ahrefs and SEO, was it Rush or something? Like Sim, Sim, Sim something. SEMrush. Like yeah. yeah. Um, it's like, you could really rack up some money buying these tools and then have to spend time learning the tools. What's the process you use to do kind of the initial due diligence of, is the site got the Google links? Does the site have in the social media world clout? Does it have merit to, mm -hmm. to look deeper into it? Yeah. So we have a somewhat of a 2022 point data point analysis that we do. It includes tools like Ahrefs. So SEMrush, Ahrefs are competitors. Pick one. If you want to DIY your own due diligence, pick one and learn it. And that's good enough. So we use Ahrefs. It's like the industry standard in the M&A space for content sites. So Ahrefs, Google Analytics, which is the traffic analytics platform, Google Search Console, which is the organic search platform that Google uses, PNLs, seller interviews, all of that information kind of combine that and look at all aspects of the site. That includes the traffic trends, the traffic metrics, the revenue metrics, the sources of revenue, the backlinks, which is a backlink, essentially somebody who is linking to this site, which is Google's way of deeming authority. So in the real world, whoever, you know, that's your value in the internet world, whoever links to you, that's essentially your value. And there's a lot of black hat, illegal ways to obtain links. So we do a deep dive in that to pick out the really good links that were naturally obtained, some that were manually built. Nothing wrong with being manually built. It's just sometimes they're not done right. And then the very nefarious ones. So that's what kills the site. It's really the backlink profile. It sounds like now there's those tools. How, can people still get over on, one over on you or can you really? So I do see deals. Mostly they're not like six figures, mostly mm -hmm. like four or five figure deals where they're trying to just pull one over. So the way they do that is yes, they're buying traffic and it shows in Google analytics, like a very nice trend growth time on page, all the good metrics, but you plug it into any of these third-party tools, they show nothing, right? So you have to do back and forth verification between all these different tools. And we use, we don't just use one Ahrefs, we use the other ones as well to verify Ahrefs as well. So when you combine all of that, if I see that, Hmm. Uh, Ahrefs is all, Ahrefs and SEMrush are estimates, right? Google Analytics and Google Search Console are essentially the, the real traffic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can kind of tell like, hey, why is Ahrefs saying it gets 100 page views a day, but Google Analytics says it gets 2,000? Now, that's a huge discrepancy. So we can dig deeper and look further. So, yeah, you use the tools to verify. To, to date, we have not been caught because we can use all these tools to verify. Awesome. Now, you mentioned earlier you love Flippa for sourcing them. Where do you sell them? So again, I am lucky to have a following. I run my own brokerage. I have you know, like 15,000 buyers, so it's very easy. But I'm going to speak on general terms. If you have a site making value less than 10,000, so that's about 
making like a couple hundred dollars a month average, your best bet is to use Facebook groups. So there's multiple Facebook groups. I own two of them mm -hmm. um, for buying and selling sites. You can list it on there for free and work with a, sell a buyer directly to close through escrow and just handle the whole thing. You don't need to pay the 15% brokerage commissions. So that's one way. If it's less than 10,000, DIY it because it's not worth paying a broker for that. If it's more than that, you can look at the smaller scale brokerages, motioninvest.com, investorsclub.com, which is the smaller content site brokerages, about 10,000. 20,000, I would say under 20,000, you can, if you put in the effort, you really can sell private above 20,000. If you don't have a following 20 to a hundred thousand, go to these small boutique brokerages above a hundred thousand, 150,000, try empire flippers. They're cream of the crop. And then if it's the million plus range, empire flippers, quiet light brokerage, FE international. I've had you guys from quiet light on here. I'm a fan of those guys. They're good people. What are the two Facebook groups you own? The website flipping buy sell group and mm -hmm. another one i forgot the name but there's like four of them one of them is the flipping websites group owned by investors club so okay. you can, the only caveat there is they use it for lead gen so anything above 500 dollars a month they don't let you list it on there because they say come to our brokerage it's a great okay. business model i love <laughs> it right and anything under 500 you can list it there and it's an open field Eighteen thousand people on that group i my group is seven thousand. i don't mm -hmm. care if it's 500 dollars or ten thousand dollars a month i just let you list it because i have a subscription sorry i don't want to pitch anything but i'm just saying no. my business model my subscription is you get 24 hour early access to any deals listed mm -hmm. on that group so you pay me monthly and you can get access to the deals before they hit the 7,000 people. So I let anybody list and then I can monetize on the back end through subscriptions. Yep. Interesting. Like the, I'm just intrigued by entrepreneurialism in general. So how do you monetize things and what do you do with it? Intrigues me because it's all different, right? Yeah. Um, and I'd be interested in being on any mailing list you have, any site that you're wanting to sell in that small to medium business space with the purpose of, I want to hold them long-term to have, of course, to monetize them, to make them a profit center, but also have them be a source to where I can write articles on buying and selling small businesses and stuff as lead gen into what I'm building on yeah. the mergers and acquisitions space. Yeah. It's a dual play. I want the content. I want it to pay for itself. I want it to pay for my writers and the producers and stuff I want on staff to make sure it's maintained. So it needs to be a profit center, but I also would like to write articles that serve my own lead generation for yeah. and for my audience and for people yeah. out there. Not that I, I ever say, want to be a broker, but. I would say for you, because we talked prior to the recording, mm -hmm. you want to buy something in the B2B space and an A space. So do I, right? <laughs> I'll be honest. It's extremely rare to find a site in this space because it's lucrative. It's and tied to brands, right? So I would say you might look for multiple years and not find a thing. It's best to start from scratch. So a lot of people are doing this, right? They have a, not like a podcast, but they have like a SaaS or something, right? They mm -hmm. spin out a media company to support that SaaS. That's what you're trying to do, right? Something to have an outlet to write and generate traffic back to your podcast and your services, potential products you'll launch in the future. Nothing wrong with that. I think you should think about that. I thought about it. I actually went out and bought the domain ACQHQ. So I own acquisition headquarters, so HCQHQ, a five-letter domain. So I wanted it short and memorable. Right now, it's probably redirected to this podcast. But uh, so thought about that and started starting with content and even just doing individual reviews and that type of stuff. Like I even thought about like all the people that have been on the show writing 
deep review of all my guests, like, like your background, what your strong points are. Right. If you're looking for X, Y, Z, this is the guy to call. But if you're looking for ABC, probably not this guy, go over here right. uh, and just honest review with the feedback system. So if somebody that was on the show didn't like my review of them, mm -hmm. uh, they had a way to, to contact me and go, no, no, I do this too. And this is what I do. And like, you know, we could clean right. it up. I don't right. want to ever be in a defamation situation. And yeah, we don't yeah, talk yeah. bad about anybody. Just curious, to, what's the timeline on that? Because I'm thinking if I'm going to fund creating the content, a media side of the of this yeah. business, my thing is it's probably two years. I'm probably going to have to fund it for two years before it really starts to get traction. Yeah. One year is when you start seeing some traffic. It really depends, right? Six to 12 months is when you see some traffic. Because you have a podcast. So mm -hmm. one of the things that a lot of people don't do when we're building content sites, 99% of the content sites I buy don't have good branding. They're just made to sell. Not always, a lot of the times, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the second buyer, me or the third buyer, who's thinking, oh, I really love this topic. I'm going to build this into a brand, right? So the first creator is essentially usually 90% of the time, just somebody who's building a site to for the revenue and the exit value rather than, oh, I love this topic. And so what I was trying to say is that you, if you build your own media brand, you can, you have your podcast, so you can use that to promote it. So people will give you what's called natural backlinks, your competitors or your friends are going to give you natural backlinks. And that's what I'm seeing with uh, my brands, right? I have the website flip. I have been on every podcast in the content space, guest posts, everything, right? I have done it all. So I have mm -hmm. hit saturation. I can, there is just absolutely no way I can grow that business any further. I've hit the TAM of my market, total addressable market, right? right. Of my niche market. And I've, I'm done. Like this makes a good money. I'm, I can live off of this, but there's nothing more. So I need to branch out, but I can use the website, flip persona, myself, my name to launch all these other assets, web acquisition being one, a brokerage in the future, right? Whatever. And you, do, you can do the same, right? Whenever you're on your podcast, you can mention all of these things. You'll naturally build rapport around your second brand, essentially backlinks, and you'll ex accelerate that two-year period to less than 12 months, right? The thing with the two-year period and one to two-year period is people who are naturally building from scratch without putting their face on it, and they're hoping that people will find the content on Google and give them a backlink. But if you're purposefully building it out, oh, your ROI, your time timing will be much faster, right? It's funny that you say that because I actually bought a set of domains just in case, right? So I bought the HCQ, HQ for the acquisition headquarters, but I also bought ACQ Hub, right? Where to be like the network or the social, like to kind of hang out. I was going to do like Mighty Networks or something for us to hang out on or whatever. And then I own ACQ Pod, which I was thinking about. This podcast is called How to Exit. I actually thought about calling it Acquisitions Podcast, right? The Acquisitions Podcast, acqpod.com. And then like now it all kind of fits in. You got the Acquisitions okay. Pod, the Acquisition Headquarters. But I haven't made that switch yet just because it's a it's an on-taking, right? And I've got this premise that I don't build things anymore. I buy them. So right. I'm looking for something to buy to turn into that long-term vision as opposed to sometimes already got traction. You could just the, the natural failure rate of like a startup is yeah. high. So picking something that's already revenue generating is kind of why I was headed down that path. Of course. Yeah. That's ideal. I know. I just know the space and it's really hard to find. Something Let's to talk about some of the old, like I've got a couple of questions that are just 
stewing on me. So there's an old school tactic, and I know it probably doesn't work anymore. Where, like I told you before, I used to have about three thousand domains. I am currently at. I don't see here. I don't. It doesn't show account. I think it's like 180 something. But one of the taxis people used to say, like, is crosslinking their own content. So if I have ten sites in a network of the same content, meaning acquisitions, mergers, small, medium business and stuff and cross-linking them. I'm of the opinion now that Google can see and track down, even if you use like Bluehost for one and Google GoDaddy for another, they can eventually track down that pattern and understand a lot of your links are coming from non-authoritative sources, but also like sources you may or may not own. (laughs) A little backstory. That's called a private blog network, PBN. Mm -hmm. And that's what we look in our due diligence. The reason is that that's one of the very nefarious black hat techniques that a lot of people use to prop up their assets. With that said, you can go to third-party services and buy PBN links. So there's people I know and they own a thousand sites, very high authority that you can buy links from for pennies on the dollar to essentially prop up your main site. And then they go and flip that. And they also hide the PBNs. And so it's really hard for a one first time buyer to find those and you have to really dig in. It's like forensic analysis, right? On the other hand, the biggest brands like .dash.com, they own Very Well Health, Spruce, all the big home and kitchen brands, they interlink their content all day, every day. And the reason for that, once you're a high authority, high brand, you're getting traffic from everywhere, getting natural backlinks it's okay to naturally link your sites. I mean, what's not okay is to take a PBN and say your article is about best microphones. You get a PBN and say, I write a random article about microphones and say, check out the best microphones and your anchor text, your text is best microphones. That is such a red flag because obviously it's even to a human eye, you know what you're doing. You're trying to get a backlink to your main site about best microphone. But if you own a lot of really good brands, like you will one day, right? With all these different brands and you have an article about valuations of a business on one article on one site, and you have another one on how to buy a business, it's okay to link those two. And it's natural. It should be. Why should you replicate the content on both sites? Now, so in a sense, it's okay. As long as all these brands are independent of each other, getting organic traffic and have their own moat, right? And that's when I link them together. With that said, I still don't link my assets together, like web acquisition, the website flip, all my other brands, because I'm just still scared because I know what can happen. <laughs> so I try to minimize that as much as I'll possible. Say, <laughs> somebody was trying to sell me something like a whole Kindle, because they know it was a domain or he reached out to me. He's like, hey, do you still buy domains? And he's like, I said, well, depends on what you got, right? I used to buy chunks, like big portfolios, 100, 200 domains at a time. I said, depends on what you got. He didn't tell me it was a private blog network, but basically said, so I've got a bunch of, I've got a collection of 55 blogs. The content is linked, cross-linked across all of them. So they're in, and they were in like five verticals, but somehow he found like a, meaning that they were in five different areas right. of outdoor life. So right. some of it was camping, some of it was mountain biking, some of it right. was right. like, but they would, he was cross-linking the articles and spinning articles and putting it on the other stuff. And I was like, okay, you created something that looks like it's really hard to maintain, right? This interview, and it was on like six different hosting sites. And I said, yeah. the only reason you would have done all that is you're trying to hide it from something. And Google's going to eventually find it and slap you, right? So that's the reason I kind of like, I backed off a little bit. It's like, yeah, not me. Somebody will want it, just not me. I'm not looking for complexity. Yeah, I think linking is okay. Just do it smartly and naturally. Don't try to cheat the system. <laughs> because one thing I'll point out, right? Yes, 
you could say Google can figure out who owns what. Not always, because nowadays you have who is privacy, you have Cloudflare, which is a, a content delivery network, kind of masking a lot of this. So one CDN can have a million sites and it's really hard to tell. So let's say Google does not know who owns what, right? At the end of the day, if I have, let's say, my competitor sending me a backlink, it's very hard for Google to know do I own that competitor as well? right? Let's just say it is semi-hard for Google to know that. So a backlink, you have to look at a backlink as a link, right? And when my competitor is linking to me, they're not going to link to say, hey, check out the best brokers, which is a keyword, right? They're going to say, check out this article talking about us as a competitor on this link. It's more natural anchor text, mm -hmm. more natural. It's not a keyword, right? A competitor won't do that. Or even somebody who's writing natural English won't link that. It's just not natural. So do it naturally and it's impossible to know. Naturally means like in a way where essentially it's in a way where we, when we speak, that's how we were going to mention somebody, not for the search engines. Hope that makes sense. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, we've totally skipped over any stories. What's your favorite flip? What's something you, you don't have to give the name in case you're in right. India not to. What's one of your favorite things you bought it and you can just like give me yeah. whatever detail you can give me about it, but you bought it, you cleaned up, you sold it. And yeah. you're proud that you did it. So yeah. do story time I here. I have two. So let's talk about the most recent one I sold January this year. We sold it for 175. We bought it the year before April. So it's only been eight months of ownership. We bought it on Flippa for 22,000. And we sold eight months later for 175. Again, this one was Flippa. So it was a group, just like you were doing your MMA stuff. Mm -hmm. It was a group of ex-military people. And this was in the outdoor survival mm -hmm. niche. Ex-military people, four of them, they wanted to start a website just to get free gear. <laughs> Similar structure. They started in 2010. And then they went to 2021 and like, okay, they're not interested anymore. So they put it on Flippa. I paid a 75X multiple. So 75X is like divide by 12, whatever that is yearly, it's way too high. And that's because that's what the seller wanted. But what I saw was extreme amount of easy wins. It was earning $300 a month and it was getting a hundred thousand page views. So these are the metrics I'm running in my mind and I can make a decision pretty quickly because I've just done this so many times. Mm -hmm. So when I see something like that, where it's make, getting a hundred thousand page views, only making $300 a month, I know in the back of my head, that should be making $3,000 a month, bare minimum. So I'm willing to pay any exorbitant amount just to close that deal. Cause I know on the back end later, I'll make my money back. So. In theoretical sense, that website at $300 a month should be not worth more than $9,000 to $12,000 based on multiples of market. But obviously this person's like, oh, I, I want 25 or $22,000. I'm like, okay, let's close the deal. Close the deal. 30 days later, it's making $3,000. Three months later, it's making $7,000. Sorry, four, uh, it peaked at $7,000, averaged out at $4,500. We then put it out to my newsletter and it sold in January, February this year for 175,000 cash, right? So that was a quick flip and an example of a hobby site that you can find and see those easy wins and then grow it and sell. Now that was it, just changing the way they were advertising, what affiliate programs they were on it. Did you revamp content? What was the flip? Yeah, we did a lot. One? The, easy, the one that took it from $300 to $3,000 a month was adding affiliate links because the people wrote content that was very, very in-depth because they reviewed the product, but they didn't put what's called conversion rate optimization, CRO. So they are not putting like 
call to action buttons. They're not putting the affiliate links within the content. They're not doing what's called comparison tables of reviewing different products. So those are like the easiest of wins. We use an 80-20 approach, which is 80% of your traffic will go to 20% of the top pages, just in natural. So optimize the top pages for the easiest of wins. So we shortlist the 20% of the top pages. That's probably like 10 or 20 pages total. And then optimize those with CRO. We also added display ads, which was missing from the site. So all of that propelled the site within 30 days to 3000. And then we added a hundred articles a month for six months. So there was a lot of content in this space that we could have done on average, hundred articles a month for six months. We had a team of four writers that were consistently writing. So that took it to average out at about $5,000 a month because we need a six month average to sell at the maximum value, which is how the industry works here. So yeah, the content, we did a redesign at the very end, December. We actually thought we were going to keep this. It was a very stable asset. It went through a lot of Google updates in its 10, 15 year history. We thought, okay, we're going to keep this. It's in a very lucrative niche. We got a COVID bump from on this business as well. We thought we were going to keep it, but then life, <laughs> my website flip was taking off during that time. I was like, okay, I'd rather have the 175 K cash to build up my other brand. So we sold it in January. So let's do like kind of the house flip scenario. You bought it for 22. So you brought it, you bought it for 22. How much did you have? How much did the flip cost? What do you think you invested? Not time-wise, because I know you have time there, but what did you pay the writers? What did you pay the redesigners? What do you think you invested in that? Yeah, good question. I have a detailed article on my site on that, but I'll try my best here. We pay our writers a flat 30 to $40 per article. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Let's be honest, the average going rate today is five cents a word for the outdoor space. Mm-hmm. We have consistent work, so people are willing to give us a flat rate of 30 mm-hmm. to 40 article, a 30 to 40 dollars per article, regardless of size. Some articles took 500 words, some took 2,000, and these writers are willing to work with us. On average, for the first three months, we were probably putting in all the revenues back in. So about two to three thousand dollars on content we didn't need to invest in any more backlinks because with the 10-year history we had the biggest backlinks in the industry for cnn all the outdoor sites and we didn't need to invest a dollar in backlinks and we didn't so it's just content and then my vas virtual assistants and team would do the cro so i'm on the high level strategy i will say hey these pages look off, we need to do this, this, and then they implement and they're on like less than $10 an hour. So it's a wash. Mm -hmm. Uh, So content was the biggest cost here. So I would say we invested about 10, 10, 10 to 12, 10 to $15,000 on content and then flipped it. And obviously it's not coming out of the first month it was coming out of pocket, but eventually it's just the same money put back in the revenue. If you look at that, you know, put in 22, right? Put it and then you and you you bought it for twenty two. I'm just going with the high end of your numbers. Sure, put yeah. fifteen in into content and and redesign or whatever. So now you're at what thirty seven, right? I'm doing public math here. Somebody's gonna correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> so we're at thirty seven, and then you held it for eight months, assuming you average about four k because some of the months were smaller. Some of them at eight months at four k, thirty two k. So you got almost all your money back, right? So yeah, you, you're only. Our- our money back we broke even at the six month mark approximately yep yeah yeah so you wrote even on the acquisition six months but i'm talking about even the cost of development right yeah 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 i think it was about six seven months yeah the, okay. the math works out somehow i'm not saying the numbers yeah. perfect yeah 
Yeah. So then you made a couple of months of income on top of the sale price, which you said was around 175. 175. Yeah. And for somebody out there thinking about getting into the mergers and acquisitions space, this is a play in there. You know, if you don't have a few hundred grand for an SBA down payment, this sounds like something that people can get into fairly reasonably, right? I teach this stuff and I talk about this stuff. So if you are going to enter this space, and I want to give a caveat here, it's not easy, right, to find these deals. It's not easy to do due diligence. If And also a lot of people say a deal that's a million dollars in size takes the same effort, content, not SaaS, not Amazon, FBA, or e-commerce, content. A site at a million dollar valuation takes the same effort as something at 50,000 because it's just content production, right? So, you know, if time is of value, Think about it because, you know, something making $500 a month may not make sense. Now, with that said, if you want to get started, you should build from scratch. You need to understand the A to Z of SEO, how Google works. If you just go and say, oh, I have a lot of money from retirement or my IRA, I'm going to break it and buy something because it sounds so great. Please don't. You will lose your shirt. Uh, <laughs> build something from scratch. Take it to some level. Sell it. Understand that whole process. Take that money put it into a site you're going to buy. Because if you don't understand how to build something, you're not going to build the one you buy. So yeah, I want to say that. Cool. Let's tell people how to get a hold of you. What's the best way to reach out to you, make connection with you, get a hold of you. And sure. then we'll go into, so you personally, how, if somebody wants to talk to you, they got a site to sell, they want to work with you on a one-to-one -one level, how do they reach that? And then let's follow that up with, if they want to talk to you about when your courses learn this process, where do they find that content? Yeah, so I have a lot of free content. You don't need to buy my course. There's, if you want an organized way, that's why you buy my course. So the web, thewebsiteflip.com, I have 400 guides, pretty much everything you need to understand how to do this, DIY it. Then I have the courses, the course on website flipping on that site, which is a six-hour course where gets A to Z of everything all in one. So that's all DIY. You want to do it yourself, you do that. Then I have a subsequent agency webacquisition.com where if you find a deal you need us to look over it you can hire us if you need a growth strategy you can hire us and those kind of things so what does it cost to hire you guys to take a look at a deal the reason i'm asking is there's got to be an economy of skill right if i'm going to yeah. buy a website for 500 bucks i'm not hiring you to take a look at it right so when does it make sense if i'm buying a website that i'm going to pay more than x for you probably should have i guess at a lot of it has to do with personal risk exposure, right? Yeah. For yeah. some people, buying a house, buying a, a website for 20K is a blink on the eye. And for yeah. other people, that would hurt if it went sour, right? Yeah. So our due diligence content, due diligence report is $1,500, mm -hmm. um, about a 20-page report. We turn around less than seven days. If you want to expedite it, there's a fee for that. And then we can tack on what's called an easy win teardown. Essentially, it would be good for you if you're buying something to know if there's wins immediate so you can negotiate stronger right so that's about six hundred dollars about twenty one hundred dollars is a package you can pick and choose what you want now when does this make sense so we recently did a two million dollar deal it's pennies for them right wow. uh, yeah monday three hundred thousand again pennies another one two hundred thousand pennies right i would say anything around fifty thousand dollars or more it makes sense now, again, I said size doesn't matter, right? A 50,000 site can have the same risk as a $2 million site. And this is the problem with the content site space. It doesn't scale like that, right? So even a $10,000 site, if you buy it and you lose, you can lose your shirt, right? It really depends on what your risk is. I would say you shouldn't be entering this space if you don't have a good net worth in general. Like you shouldn't invest all your dollars. If you want to enter this space and you have minimal money, 
you have time. So build from scratch. But if you're investing, you should have some good money. So less than 20,000, you can DIY it, learn it through my guys, my courses, whatever. But anything above that, you can potentially hire us or ask us questions. We're happy to help. I might have this. I'm going to ask you one last question because it's on my mind and I might splice it back into earlier content so that, you know, it, it seems a little more logical because we just did our close. But final question here. A lot of us out there, we own domains we're sitting on. Like we just bought them because we thought they were cool. I own interesting ones. I own bikershit.com. but be a good one for like bike, motorcycle gear and stuff. I own, uh, I don't even know what I'm going to do with some. I own everyspice.com, right? Uh, was into cooking for a while and I thought about like having like a kind of a thing, but I don't know what the affiliates on some of these are. I own gotpitch.com. So if somebody wanted to do like a sales pitch type of training type of content on who has the best self, so gotpitch.com. If you have a good domain name, can you go to Flip and find somebody that's got great content and then rebrand it with your domain and still keep their links and stuff? Is there, a, I know you can do 301 DNS type of redirects and stuff like that. Is yeah. that a logical play to do if you have a better domain than them? Yes, that's the merger part of what we offer in web acquisition. So, you know, mm -hmm. we can help you kind of put those together. But yes, in general, you can do that. And brand name does help a lot. Will it get you more traffic just because you moved it? No. But will it get you long-term long -term longevity? Yes. But yeah, you can just move this content over in a risk, less risky way and obviously get that traffic back. That's not a, that's not a high-risk maneuver in general. I was thinking about for like for some of my longer term holds, use some of these domains that I bought because they are shorter, they are brandable. Mm -hmm. Buy something that's like how to I don't know how to be great at sales.com, which is horrible to remember and type in to buy that and then do got pitch dot use like that got pitch or yeah, one of the yeah. other websites. That's what I have done. I started the website flip.com because it was ten dollars, right? Yeah. Then a few months later, I bought websiteflip.com without the, I still own it. I'm just lazy or I don't. One thing is there's always risks in everything you do, right? Even mm -hmm. if you do the perfect approach and this is in M&A, everything's risky, right? Yeah. So even if I do the perfect merger, the move, right? I have, I do risk something going wrong during that process. It's a technical process. There's servers involved. There's right. HT access, redirects, all this stuff involved, right? So I can make a mistake. So I don't want to kill my very big business that I'm living off of because I just wanted to rebrand. So think, do it early on when the risk is low. Just don't do it when you're making seven figures, right? When it's scary. That makes me think. So if I'm going to rebrand the How to Exit show to the acquisition pod, acqpod.com instead of the howtoexit.com, probably should yeah. do that early on while I'm still in the thousands of downloads and not the hundreds of thousands of so. downloads. I think so, yeah. Do it early on when even if you mess up you're not messing up big time <laughs> right. and also you probably have to rebrand your podcast images you have to do it's easier to do that when you have 100 episodes and 500 i just realized that you learn stuff all the time right the seo of my youtube is horrible it's just a picture when it, when it was coming out it'd be a picture of us with my logo on it mm. and no taglines on the photo so the, the initial photo if they didn't know who you were Got it. Like I have, a, I have the author of one of the, one of the black swan coaches, right? I have the author of a high-end book on negotiations. He's one of the black swan coaches and stuff on there. And I started looking at his and like, I'm not getting much traffic on them. This guy is a rock star. He works for Chris Voss, right? He was a hostage negotiator for Washington, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. D.C., right? And yeah, now he teaches. Yeah, yeah. He uh, never split the difference. He's one of the coaches for that program. And I'm not getting much traffic on it. And I started looking at my, like the SEO of that. YouTube videos and stuff out there. And like, if you just look at this guy on there, you don't know who he is, right? Yeah. 
So other people I really recommend in my space, nichepursuits.com, Spencer Hawes. He has been the face of the brand of Niche Pursuits since 2005 or something. And he launched YouTube. Now he hired a guest person, Jared. Um, mm -hmm. And he's pretty much separating his face because I think he wants an exit in the next five years. And he's done very good YouTube SEO. So you can, can kind of copy him or take strategies. Matt Diggities is another SEO specialist. He has a YouTube channel. He does a very, very good job. Authority Hacker, they have a very good YouTube channel and blog. They kind of tie all these things together. I think those are good case studies. I've been watching the, the Authority Hacker stuff. That's what intrigued me. I've kind of got this digital nomad. Sorry, I keep smacking at my own face. There's a fly <laughs> in my house. There's one fly in my house and he's over here like attacking me while I'm on the show. Uh, I'm like, ah, get off me. Anyway, um, no, I like the authority hacker stuff. And uh, one of the reasons I'm interested in this space is it moves with me, right? I have a couple of brick and mortar companies and I do it all through Zoom and stuff like that. But occasionally, at least once a year, I'm going to have to fly back to that location because it has licensing requirements and stuff. So what I'm building right now is what can I take with me? We're sitting in a Redwood Forest in Northern California in our tiny house right now. And we like this kind of digital nomad lifestyle type of thing, but I want to do acquisition. I want to be the, the digital nomad acquisitions guy, right? Where I travel around and buy stuff. So I yeah. can be anywhere. You know what would go with good with your brand is a tiny house website. A, <laughs> it's a big, it's a big niche, right? Very yeah. lucrative. I've seen some very good RV and tiny home sites sell for seven figures. I mean, easily. I'm interested in something like that. It'd be kind of cool. I wouldn't ever do ours, but there's four of us living here and it's never clean. If I pan this, the camera out here, we got dishes that need to be done. Like I'm not giving anybody a tour of mine. We live in it. <laughs> it's not a showroom, right? We thought about bringing a house cleaner over here once a week and uh, to help out with. But when you're in a tiny space and I work from it, it's like, I don't want somebody in my space. So thinking about buying a second one, parking it beside me. And I walk out of one door, walk into the other. And then that's my studio and game room, right? So I appreciate your time today. It's been fun, man. Hang out for a second. I'm going to hit the stop recording button. And that's the show, guys. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show, ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline, leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace we have partnered with has a proprietary database of 50,000 plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software as a service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and, and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business, you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind 
The Investors and Entrepreneur Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T I E. PM.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.